It is great to be with you. I wanna wish you a happy Thanksgiving. For those of you who have not had a chance to meet, my name is Corey. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, Merle and Karen, they're traveling today for Thanksgiving, just enjoying some time together. And so they are looking forward to being back next Sunday as Pastor Merle kicks off our Advent season. So we're excited about that as we lead up to Christmas. So there are a few things that I wanna make you aware of and encourage you, but I wanna be honest with you. Do you wanna know the first thing that I thought about when I woke up this morning? The first question that I have. Does anyone wanna know that? Brace yourself. It was this. I wonder how many people in our congregation have already designed their home and decorated for Christmas? That was the first question that I have. So we're gonna do a straw poll right now. So by a round of applause, how many of you already have your Christmas lights up? Okay. It's a little bit more than I expected, actually. So, all right, proudly applaud with me because I'm with you. How many of you are waiting to put your Christmas lights up? Let's hear it. All right, well, obviously we have a majority and uh, the majority is ready for Christmas. So for those of us who are waiting a little bit longer, the good news is we have two different weekends for the Liberty Light Show. So for those of you who have already decorated your Christmas trees and your homes, you can come to the Liberty Light Show next weekend. And then for the rest of us, we'll wait a whole nother week because we're off about a week, okay? So as you guys see in your bulletin here that you got when you came in, uh, there's a few things that we wanna make you aware of. First of all, Liberty Light Show, it is coming and it's hard to believe it is next week. It starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then we have another whole series of shows the following weekend. This is such a perfect opportunity for you to come with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. It's an awesome opportunity from an outreach standpoint where the gospel will be presented. You're gonna get glow sticks. Even the adults will get glow sticks. It is just an awesome atmosphere. In years past, we've had over 15,000 people in one year experienced the Liberty Light Show, and we expect it to be another great year. So please come, please invite others to that. The other thing that we wanna make you aware of is this is a giving season for us, obviously, so we do something every year around Christmas called Love Our City. And in the middle of the bulletin and also on the right side, there's a perforated tab, and you can tear that tab off. And what we would like for you to do is to look through the various ways that you can help love our city, whether it's to the Hope Center or Hillcrest Hope or Love Inc. or Urban Christian Academy. There's a lot of different ways that you can serve. This could be a really good opportunity for you and your community group to serve together or if you wanna serve together as a family. So please check that out. And then today, what we wanna do is we wanna get a pulse on how our congregation is leaning towards how they wanna give this Christmas. So fill this short form out and then put this in the back of the worship center when you walk out uh, just drop it in one of the offering boxes, and then we can also be in communication with you about important announcements for the specific ways that you're giving. So for those of you who are new here, perhaps you're new here because uh, this is Thanksgiving weekend and you haven't, uh, you haven't braved the roads yet. My daughter, who's going back to Mizzou, I said, you're not driving on I-70 today. You can leave tomorrow morning. And if you need a pass from your father, I will write that out. But if you haven't left yet for Thanksgiving, we just wanna welcome you. If this is your first time here at PV, maybe you're looking for a church home and this is just a place where you saw this big church on the corner and you said, I wanna learn what this is all about. 
Our hope is that as you step into this building, you realize that we really do desire to make a big church feel small, and we do that in a lot of different ways, and so we hope that you have felt welcomed. I also wanna welcome those of you who are joining us in our chapel today. Good morning to you, as well as those who are joining us online in either our Facebook channel or our YouTube channel. I just wanna say thank you and welcome for joining us. Okay, so today we are in the middle of sermon series. We have been doing the How Now Shall We Live that's been going on for the last several weeks. And wouldn't you agree, that has been such an enriching sermon series. And I wanna thank Pastor Merle and Brad for bringing the word so faithfully over the last several weeks. We help me thank them for that. That was an awesome sermon series. And then next week is when we start with Advent. So what we have today, it's a one-part sermon series, and this one-part sermon series is packed with Scripture, and it's going to be a passage of Scripture that I believe many of you are familiar with, but the goal for today is that we really slow down and dig into one verse in particular, and that's Romans 12, verse one. Now, a few years ago, we studied the book of Romans. We took an entire year to get through the book of Romans, and we didn't even make it through the entire book. That's how rich the book of Romans is. So, you know, we talk a lot about when you're studying Scripture, there are two very, very important questions to ask. The first question is, what did this passage of Scripture mean to the original hearers of this or the original readers? And then secondly, what does this passage of Scripture mean to us today? How does it apply to our own life? As you are approaching Scripture, if you can ask those two questions every time, you will be able to exposit Scripture in a more meaningful way. You'll be able to understand the vital context, but then you'll also be able to have the application for our current lives today. So I wanna give you a little bit of background for where Paul was at when he wrote this New Testament letter the, the letter of Romans. First of all, this was around 57 AD, and many scholars believe that Paul was writing from the city of Corinth. Paul actually had not yet been to Rome. In fact, in the opening verses of Romans chapter one, it's pretty evident that Paul has not been to Rome, but he's anticipating, he's excited, he's longing to eventually join the church in Rome. And the church in Rome at this time was actually in a relative calm season. So it was 57 AD. This was about seven years before the infamous burning of the city of Rome where uh, the emperor Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of the city. And this is what left that particular city in Romans during that time. And the significance of the book of Romans uh, cannot be overstated. This book is the core of the gospel. This is a gold mine of gospel truth. You know, if you were deserted on an island and you had one book that you could take with you, if you chose the book of Romans, that would be a pretty good choice because it is so incredibly rich. In fact, Tim Keller, uh, a very well-known author and theologian and pastor, has said this about the book of Romans, that Romans is the most sustained exposition of the heart of the gospel. And so my hope for today is this. My hope is that Romans 12, 1 today would, would have a new light shed on it because of the context of supporting passages that God has really brought to this particular sermon. And these particular passages, maybe you've not heard them in combination before, but the goal is that you would be open to the Holy Spirit, that you would ask yourself 
questions, that you would be in a reflective mode, and that you would, along with everyone else here in the worship center, in the chapel, and those watching, that we would be committed to thinking about gospel-centered gratitude in a different way. That is my hope for today. So with that, what I want to do is I want to read the first, 10 pa- the first 10 verses of this particular passage, and then we're going to really camp out on Romans 12, verse 1. So let's take a look at Romans 12, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with Uh, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and take the lead in honoring one another. Now, it would be impossible to unpack all 10 of these verses today. So because of that, we're really going to zero in on Romans 12, verse one. So if our team could just pull that back up on the screen. Let's read this again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So the one thing I thought about when I was preparing for this sermon is, you know, um, in, the, in the movie Christmas Vacation, when, uh, when, I'm sorry, in European Vacation, where Chevy Chase, he's, he's, I've been watching way too much Christmas Vacation, okay? Haven't we all? But in European Vacation, where Chevy Chase goes to the roundabout in front of Big Ben in Parliament, and he's just, he's stuck in the roundabout. Like, he can't get out of the roundabout. They're driving the wrong direction. It's Chevy Chase. And for about two minutes, he's just stuck in it. He's like, look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. So one of the things that I think we should do at certain points when we are reading Scripture is that we need to get in a roundabout and intentionally stay in it. So like, look, everyone, it's Romans 12.1. Look, everyone, it's Romans 12.1. This passage of Scripture is so rich. And so I want us to slow down and really dig into this verse today. And so if you are a note taker, I'm going to give you a sneak peek of the sermon outline right now. So if you wanna write this down, then you can fill this in as we go along. So the whole goal of today is to talk about gospel-centered gratitude. And I believe that Romans 12.1 says that in order for us to live lives of gospel-centered gratitude, we need to do three things according to this passage. First, we need to move from doctrine only to doctrine plus duty. Second, we need to move from a focus on me 
to a focus on mercy. And then third, we need to move from a life of wandering to a life of worship. So what is gratitude? Well, you've probably heard it defined that gratitude is an attitude. And that's a cute rhyme, but I asked myself the question, is that really what gratitude is? So the word gratitude, the root word is gratus, which means grace or gratuity. So remember a time maybe where you've gone out to a great restaurant and instead of feeling obligated to give the 15 or 18% tip, because of the experience that you had, the emotions that it evoked, the food that was so good, you went above and beyond and maybe the, the gratitude that you expressed through your gratuity was 20 or 25 or 30%. Well, that is something that we can offer as a token of our appreciation, a token of our gratitude. We can pay someone to, and as we say, thank you for the service that they provided. But that type of gratitude really is more circumstantial and it's highly emotional. And what I believe Paul is telling us, or he's, he's, he's learn, uh, encouraging us to think about and learn more about in this particular passage is that gospel-centered gratitude looks different. That it's more than just being circumstantial or emotional. That gospel-centered gratitude is actually an overflow for our love for God and for our love of his understanding of us. And gospel-centered gratitude is a vital way for us to reflect on our past, to navigate our present, and then to hope for our future. Because we have been made new in Christ, gratitude is not circumstantial and emotional, but gratitude is actually something very deep within us. Gratitude becomes part of the way that we live life because it is an outcome of the change that has occurred through our transformation. So gratitude then is no longer an attitude. Gratitude is an aptitude. And this is a different way of thinking about gratitude. Now, when we think about an aptitude, aptitudes are things that we are all born with. Of course, aptitudes can be developed and they should be developed over time, but there are things like music or dancing or athletic aptitude or the ability to crunch numbers quickly or cognitive aptitude. You know, I think about my mom. My mom was a concert pianist, and I remember listening in the morning. She would, she would start everyone's day because her piano was loud in a small house, and she would be playing the piano early hours of the day, and that's what we would wake up to every morning. And one of the things that my mom had, she had near-perfect pitch, so she was born with this aptitude. That she, of course, she developed over time, but she was born with this. And I remember we would play songs on the radio for her, and she would be able to go to the piano and start playing it because her near-perfect pitch allowed her to just play the song on the radio on the piano. It was just an amazing example for us of what aptitude really looks like in a person's life. So Paul is reminding the church in Rome, in Romans 12, that they are new creations. Their aptitudes have changed because their lives have been transformed. So now we see that Paul is saying, I don't want your gratitude to be emotional. I want your gratitude to be devotional. Devotional to what God has done in your own life. Because everything changes. Our perspectives change. Our relationships change change, how we process through trauma changes, our worship changes, what we worship changes, and how 
how we care for others also changes. So how do we do this? How practically do we develop this aptitude in our own life? Well, Paul says in Romans 12:1, this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, the reason why I have the word therefore underlined is because this is a vital word, not only in this particular passage of scripture, but this is a vital word in this entire book of Romans. So you've heard Pastor Merle say, whenever you come across a therefore in scripture, you need to figure out what is the therefore, therefore. And whenever you see this word, this particular word, and it's all throughout the book of Romans, but placed right here, the word therefore requires some investigation. So this word therefore, and particularly Romans 12, the whole verse of Romans 12:1, it's like a ridge that runs through the book of Romans. So on one side of the ridge, we have chapters one through 11, which are really talking about the doctrine truce. And then on the other side of that ridge, it talks a little bit more about the application of the doctrinal truce. So in chapters one through 11, the doctrinal truce, there are many. The first one is the problem of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The second doctrinal truth in the first 11 chapters of Romans is the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. The third doctrinal truth is found in Romans 10.9 through 10, and it talks about the perfect solution for our sin. It says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And then the fourth doctrinal truth that Paul encourages the church in Rome, and remember, these churches, they were not gathering in large buildings. These were house churches that he was trying to bring together and bind together once again with the truth of the gospel. So the fourth doctrinal truth is the promise of salvation, and that's found in Romans 8.1, which is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then the fifth and final doctrinal truth that Paul is exhorting and encouraging his, the churches in Rome is this. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So these five doctrinal truths, they're living on the first side of this ridge in Romans. And verse 12:1 is this ridge that runs through, and it's that word, therefore, that causes all of us to go, wait a minute, what was going on before 12:1, And then what was going on after chapter 12, verse 1? And what is going on after 12:1 is this, that Paul is saying, you need to put your doctrinal truths and your understanding of the doctrine you need to put it in motion. And in motion looks like the duty of the gospel. And this is not a works-based salvation. Please 
hear me clearly. This is Paul saying, if your duty is not gospel truth, then you need to really understand what is the doctrine of the gospel. So this doctrine plus duty is expressed in a few ways. First of all, he encourages in chapters 13 and on, he says, we have to have Christian ethics. We have to honor authority. We have to put on Christ. We have to live the law of love. And we have to glorify God in community. And this is all summed up very well in Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. He says this, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, filled with the doctrinal truths, Romans 1 through 11, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. William Arnott, who, is a, who was a Scottish theologian in the 1800s, said something so beautiful about Romans 12.1. He says this specifically about the word therefore. The link, that's the word therefore, the link which unites doctrine and duty is like the great artery that joins the heart to the members, the channel of life and the bond of union. If that link is severed, then life departs. If doctrine and duty are not united, both are dead. There remains neither the sound creed nor the holy life. So maybe today, there's only one word that you need to hear and you need to reflect on and you need to walk away with, and that is the word therefore. Maybe you've been doing church. Maybe you've been filling yourself and having a deeper understanding of the doctrinal truths, which is wonderful and amazing. And maybe what you need to be thinking about is, what is the therefore, therefore in my life? What is the pivot? What is the hinge? How do I move to the other side of that ridge where I'm taking the doctrinal truths and I'm starting to apply it with gospel duty? That would be my encouragement for you today. And if that is true for you, then the next point that Paul is making in Romans 12, 1, about what it looks like to live a life of gospel-centered gratitude is vital. And it's this. Because we are new creations, there are new aptitudes that can and need to be developed. He says this in Romans 12, 1. And notice the underlying phrase. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the mercies of God, all of our view in the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, Lamentations chapter three is a book that is going to, uh, Lamentations, the book itself, is not necessarily one that you're gonna find in every happy devotional. Lamentations is a very heavy, heavy passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read that to you, but before we do that, I'm going to kind of lighten the mood just a little bit, and I want to give to you a test. Now, I know we're on Thanksgiving break, like tests are not allowed, but I'm going to give you a one-question aptitude test. So aptitude tests are common. Maybe you've 
taken the SAT or the ACT for college prep. And this particular aptitude, it's only one question. And although there is actually only one right answer, you are all winners. Okay, so I'm just gonna clarify that right now. Like everyone's a winner. We can all get a participation ribbon, but there is one right answer. So we're gonna see how your cognitive reasoning aptitude is after all of the turkey that you ate a few days ago. Okay, so let's pull this aptitude test up on the screen. Okay, so here's the question. What is the right figure, the right symbol that needs to go in the fifth box on the far right? I'm gonna give you about 10 seconds to determine that. Don't say your answers out loud, okay? So of all the ones, and for those of you who are blocked by the Christmas tree here, I'm sorry, you're just gonna have to guess, okay? So which figure on the bottom, A, B, C, D, or E, needs to go in the top right slot in the upper portion there? Okay, so by a round of applause, how many of you chose the figure C? All right, everyone else, join them because they got the right answer. So give yourselves a round of applause, well done. So that is an aptitude. Now, some of you may have been like, I don't even, like, whoa, like that totally messed with my brain. And that is okay, this is an aptitude that some of us are born with, some of us are not born with as much. It can be developed, but this is an aptitude test that is going to uh, gauge your current level of cognitive reasoning, specifically regarding uh, space as well as shape. So this is just an example of how when we are new creations, God, he changes our entire aptitude set. So we have a different version of aptitude compared to what life was like before Christ. And one of those key aptitudes is gratitude. Now, in the book of Lamentations, which I alluded to earlier, specifically in Lamentations chapter three, the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting about the loss of his city. Let me just paint the picture here. This was in 596 BC. So this is 600 years before the coming of Christ. And the prophet Jeremiah, he is walking through the city because they were just invaded and, and the Babylonians had destroyed and annihilated their city. The temple was destroyed. There were people who were killed and Jeremiah is lamenting this. And, and I want you to hear the lament of Jeremiah and also the transition that he makes from going to, from an I and a me and a my mindset to much more of a view of mercy. So I'm gonna read this and just listen to the anguish, but then listen to the hope that he has found in the mercy of God. It says this in chapter three, verse 11 through 26. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. I am a laughingstock to all my people. He mocked, I was mocked by their songs all day long and he filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. See the transition that's occurring with Jeremiah? 
from a view of me to a view of mercy. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Jeremiah experienced this second point that I believe Paul is trying to make in Romans 12.1, to shift our view from a view of me to a view of mercy. So here are some questions for reflection as you think about how are you viewing life right now? Is it a view of me? Is it a view of mercy? Is it a view that says I and I alone? Or is it a view that says Christ and Christ alone? How are you viewing life right now? And if you are in a season of lament, are you viewing your circumstances with God's mercy as your sustaining reality? If you are in a seasons of need, are you able to proclaim with Charles, what Charles Spurgeon preached, that I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need? Are you acknowledging that Christ is great enough for your needs? Are you deepening your understanding of Christ's love for you? And are you meditating on his greatness? Are you, like Jeremiah, praising God for his mercies that are new every morning, even if you are walking through a challenging season? Now, I want to share a story with you that came from my brother about six months ago. So my brother called me about six months ago during the day, and he said, hey, Corey, I need you to help me with something. Um, I need you to try to talk me out of a decision that I'm about to make. And I said, I'm listening. What a way to start a conversation. And I told him, I said, look, Darren, in light of the past several months that we have had as a family, losing our father and our stepmom to COVID a year ago, December, and everything kind of being up in the air, I said, I'll do my best, but I'm not going to guarantee that I can talk you out of anything. And so this is what he said. He said, hey, I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at buying a boat. Like, tell me what kind of boat, like the kind of boat that we need to lift in the winter, because I've heard horror stories about how boats cost you more than what they're worth, right? He said, no, 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 this is a different kind of boat. This is a wooden dory that I want to buy. Now, just to offer a little bit of context, my brother and I were former whitewater rafting guides, so we spent thousands of hours on rivers around the country. And so we've always done those rivers, though, in inflatable rafts, which are pretty durable. Um, but these particular rafts, you know, they're, they're, uh, they can hit rocks, they can hit different things, and they're going to be okay. But a dory, a dory is very, very different. A dory is made out of wood. And these wooden dories, not only are they fragile, but they also require a different rowing technique in whitewater. And so my, my brother said, I'm really interested in buying a dory because I think it's kind of the pure way to run a river. And I said, you know what? Instead of me trying to talk you out of it, I'm actually going to say this. How about if I go in on it part way with you and I'll invest in the dory with you? And so we did. We bought a boat. We each have inflatable rafts, but we bought this wooden dory. And my brother spent a few months refurbishing it and painting it and getting it back to where it was actually floatable again. And then it came to this point where we got to name the boat. 
and we decided on the name Gratitude. And the reason why we decided on this name is because this was the name that we felt best would best reflect the life that my dad and my stepmom lived. And it's this analogy of floating through calm waters, rapid waters, turbulent waters with gratitude. And so this name of this boat has really stuck with us as a family. And I just wanted to share that with you because in some ways I feel like as we're navigating through life, we have this choice to either activate this aptitude of gospel-centered gratitude, or we can kind of leave it on the shore. And so this leads to our next point, which Paul is making in 12.1, which is this, that, that God desires for us to live a life not of wandering, but a life of worship. He says it clearly in the final part of 12.1. He says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. See, Paul is encouraging and exhorting the churches in Rome once again that because of Christ's sacrifice, we now need to surrender and sacrifice our old way of living to glorify and honor Christ. But how do we do this? Because it's kind of paradoxical to be both living and also sacrificial. Well, the good thing is, is that Paul thought about that when he wrote this, and the answer is actually in verse 2 of chapter 12, where he says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. He's saying this, do not be conformed to this age, leave your old ways. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Live knowing that Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for you so that you may discern what is good. Learn what it looks like to not only understand the doctrines of gospel truth, but then to apply those and live those out with gospel duty. And then later on in Romans 12, 10, he says, take the lead in honoring one another. This is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. You know, the, the number 168 is an important number. It's the number of hours that are in each of our weeks. We, we all have 160 hours, 168 hours to do with what we want. And so the thought occurred to me this week, if the one hour a week on Sunday morning is how you are living out the duty of the gospel, that's not sacrificial. That's just a sliver. God doesn't want a sliver. He wants it all. He wants 168 hours. That's what a living sacrifice means. That means real worship. Real worship is not confined to three songs on a Sunday morning. Real worship is the expression of our life. It's worshiping God with all we are and who we are. This is what discipleship means. Discipleship is being all in for the sake of Christ. I've heard it said that discipleship is our conversion in motion. So think about when you first were converted to a new life in Christ. Now think about that conversion being in continual motion. This is the process of discipleship. But maybe... Maybe you're here today and you've not had that conversion experience. Maybe your experiences are, are strung together 
with, with something that's more like a wandering, a wandering through different life experiences. So what does wandering actually look like according to Paul? Well, it's the opposite of what Paul says in Romans 12 too. Wandering means consistently conforming to this age. Wandering means reaching a point of neutrality and passivity and becoming set in our ways. It's the discipleship, instead of being in motion, it's actually neutralized. Wandering means not discerning what is good through prayer and counsel and community. Wandering means seeking to fulfill your own will instead of the will of God. And in this day and age, just as it was in the Church of Rome, it's very, very easy to discern things through our own desire, through our own will. So my question for you, if you are wandering today, what would it look like if today were the day that you experienced for the first time gospel-centered gratitude? For you to not only recognize and acknowledge that Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for you, but he's also calling you to live a life that is for others, for his glory. And scripture is full of how when we do this, the promise of salvation, both here in this life and in the life to come, will be fulfilled. So my question is, if you are wandering, if you have not experienced surrender, if you have not prayed to surrender your life to Christ, to turn away from your old ways and to live a new life in Christ, why not today? So I want to go back to this story of the dory. Recently, my brother, he rode through the Grand Canyon, which is, which is a 230-mile stretch on the Colorado River that goes through one of the seven wonders of the world in the Grand Canyon. And this picture is a picture that I will keep for as long as I live because this is a picture of my brother rowing with gratitude through a class nine rapid in the Grand Canyon called Hermit. It's one of the largest navigable rapids in the Grand Canyon. He's on wave seven in that rapid. There were six other waves about just as big, and this is the seventh wave that he hit. But he's rowing through this rapid, literally holding on to gratitude. And I love that image, because doesn't it feel like sometimes that we're just, we're trying to keep everything straight. We're trying to just row through life, this huge rapid, or, or sometimes we have this calm, tranquil season. But the danger of rowing with gratitude, of living with gratitude, is that if we put this on the shore, we're not utilizing it for its intended purpose. So this boat is only as good as it is when it is going through the biggest rapids on the river. And in the same way, our gospel-centered gratitude will be tested when we go through the hardest and the darkest seasons of our life. So here are some questions as we close for you to reflect upon today, as we wrap up this week of Thanksgiving, and as hopefully you maybe you think differently about what gratitude looks like, that it's moving from circumstances and emotion to a full life surrender and devotion. What are the waters that you are navigating right now? Is it calm, like the first picture of the dory on the reservoir? Or is it the rapid? Is it the class nine rapid right now? Is this a season of uncertainty or is it a season of rest? Are you navigating through waters alone 
or are you in community? Are you taking risks or are you holding back? Are you rowing with gratitude or are you just surviving with grumbling? Are you in a season of wandering or are you in a season of worship? And is your worship confined to a few songs on Sunday morning or is your worship a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour living sacrifice committed to surrendering to the God of the universe whose mercies are new every morning? And if Jeremiah can pray that prayer, your mercies are new every morning as he's looking at the destruction of his beloved city, so too can we pray the prayer, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. And because of that, I will live with gospel-centered gratitude. John Stott, a theologian, has said this about true worship, that all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture and arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. And worship without theology is bound to to degenerate into idolatry. And I would say the same, that theology without worship is something that will also not be sustainable according to Romans 12, 1. So today we've looked at three ways that we can live out gospel-centered gratitude. Number one, we've looked at moving from doctrine alone to doctrine plus duty. Second, we've, we've looked at moving from a view of me to a view of mercy. And then finally, we've looked at what it means to, to move from a life of wandering to a life of worship. And so we have something that we can do with this today. We can live out gratitude practically, especially as we go into this Christmas season. And so what I'd like everyone to do as we close today, go ahead and grab your phone, okay? Grab your phone and just hold it up. You can turn it on. If it's not already on, that's fine. The Chiefs aren't playing. Are they playing this afternoon? They're not, okay. I've been on Thanksgiving break, can you tell, okay? So hold up your phones. This is what I would like for you to do. At some point in the next 30 minutes, I want you to go to this webpage. It's pleasantvalley.org slash gratitude. So Pastor Brad teed this up really well last week. This is the challenge that I wanna give to our church family. We are looking for at least 100 PV households to take a bit of a risk and to express gospel-centered gratitude by reaching out to a neighbor that may not necessarily be a part of a church. And this is what we wanna ask of you. We want you to commit on this form to inviting that other person or that other family over to your house for coffee or dinner or dessert. I did it last night with our brand new neighbors. I said, hey, we would love to have you guys over for dessert sometime. He was hanging his Christmas lights. And I said, we would love to have you guys over for dinner. Will you join us at some point and dinner, and he said, we would love to do that. And so I'm in, I've made the commitment, I want to encourage you as well, but what would it look like if at least 100 PVers took on this very simple and practical way to express gospel-centered gratitude, and we started inviting more and more people over to our homes for simple things like breakfast, if you want, on a Saturday morning, or a dessert, or a dinner, uh, or a cup of coffee. And so this is the challenge that I wanna offer to you. 
Will you do this today? Will you fill out the form and will you join us as we as a church collectively enter into this Advent season with a new mindset of what it looks like to live with gospel-centered gratitude? Well, my hope today is that this has been a shift in your thinking about what it looks like to live with gratitude. And so as we close in prayer, my ask of you is to ask yourself these questions. Am I living a life that is purely doctrine or am I committed to doctrine plus duty? Am I willing to move from a me mindset to a mercy mindset? And then finally, am I willing to stop wandering and start worshiping with true worship 168 hours each week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are so grateful for the mercy that you have extended to us on the cross through your son, Jesus. Lord, we are lost without you. We are wandering without you. Our lives are focused inward as opposed to upward when we're without you. And Father, we pray right now as each individual in this room and each individual watching has their own story of gratitude that has been extended to them and how they are extending gratitude to others. And Lord, we pray that as we camped out on Romans 12, 1 today, that you would do a work in their hearts and their minds that they would be that they would be encouraged as the same, same way that the church in Rome was encouraged to live with gospel-centered gratitude. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would bless this congregation in this season of Advent and that we would share that blessing with others as we invite more and more people who are far from you to the amazing transformational work of you in our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the power and the promise of your Holy Spirit that lives in and through us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.